Hey guys, I'm Leanna. I'm Jared. Welcome back to week three of Best Of. Yes. And this one, we chose this one because this is really the first week that things started to shift. Yeah, like a big turning point. A big turning point for the podcast. Yep. Um, and this was your idea. Mm-hmm. And I was like, at first I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then it turned out to be, I mean, the outpouring of love after and just the mm -hmm. connection of people like, oh my gosh, I had the same experience and thank you so much for opening up. And it's just kind of a, it's also kind of a glimpse into my life and why I decided to, to go with along with this project. Yeah. And I mean, what's interesting is like you started this because you wanted to make something that would help people mm -hmm. and like make their lives better. But your original vision was that you were going to do that by being like, funny and confident and sharing crazy and stories. And I'm neither of those things. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're both of those things. But this was, you know, a couple episodes before this one came out that we're going to listen to again today. There was a moment where you got really vulnerable on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was really powerful. And then you got a bunch of feedback from our listeners. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's why I was like, we, Let's we, go in that direction. Yeah, we. You know? this one has a really high amount. It's in the, our top 10 of mm -hmm. downloaded episodes. Um, and we got a lot of reviews after this episode posted. Mm. So, um, you know, it, it showed us that we were on the right track of like where we wanted the show to go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, guys. Well, enjoy. Maybe for the first time, like being that way wasn't resulting in sort of backlash and, mm -hmm. and judgment and people telling you that you're doing something wrong or whatever. And yeah. So, yeah, oh no. Yeah. Like I was loved yeah. and everywhere they would talk about, I woke up last night and I heard you laughing and it was the funniest thing. It's like, I felt, yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. I felt like for the first time I was allowed to be me. Hi guys, welcome back to another ep <laughs> I think we should leave this in. I think we should. Guys, uh -huh. welcome back to another episode of Hello and Goodbye. Uh, Jared is here. We are uh, recording together and Skyping and his phone just fell over while I was introducing. So that's where we're at. He had like this great setup too. It's We spent what, like... 20 minutes trying to set up his I have camera. like a I have like a Jenga tower of like books and um, using a glasses case to like hold the phone and okay and we're back so uh, welcome you guys I'm so excited to be here it is just Jared and I today and we are doing something a little different today um Jared why don't you kind of explain what we're like just give like a little tease of what's coming yeah I call this a very special episode. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, I mean, you and I had talked about this a while ago now. Um, we've been sort of kicking around this idea. And you really put yourself out there on this podcast. You know, and we talk a lot about our present lives and everything like that. And so I sort of pitched you the idea of like, well, what if I interview you in a sense um, and we do an episode where we delve a little bit into... Uh, your past and kind of like the things that have shaped you as a person, because I think that 
that will help people sort of like know you and, and the things that you've come from and stuff like that. And, and I thought it would be sort of fun for our audience who's like come to hear all of your current escapades to like learn a little bit more about like how you got to be this person you are now. Yeah. I, and I love that. And, you know, Jared and I were brainstorming a few weeks ago. And if you have listened to the bonus episode on our, on my uh, Patreon account, we talk a little bit about, I have some anxieties over this podcast and moving forward. And, you know, I actually have gotten a lot of criticism this week with certain things. And it's actually been really good for me because I I don't ever want to be stuck in a place where I'm not growing as a person. And I definitely like I'm a very sensitive person. So criticism is hard for me, but you can't grow. You can't and and I'm not going to be able to grow this podcast if I don't continue to learn from mistakes or mm. maybe get a little bit of input from listeners of what they think, you know, and I don't ever want to necessarily be compared to another podcast. I want this to be a, a thing that I've put together and um that's very unique to me. So, you know, this whole thing it has been a process for me. It's been I am not a or before this, I'd never been on a podcast. I didn't know how to do a podcast. So it's been such a growing experience. And I guess, you know, I'm a podcaster now, but I'm definitely not a professional about it. And I mean, sorry, I'm not a professional podcaster and <laughs> I'm not a professional dater, you know? Um, so I, I, you know, I think it's important for you guys to know that I am continuing to work hard to, to make this podcast better. And one of the uh, very constructive critiques that I got from a good friend was, you know, I think a lot of the listeners don't really know you, you know, mm -hmm. like if you're like, I have obviously have some very close friends who listen or, or uh, people in my family who listen and they know me very well. And so they kind of understand some of these things that are going on, but for the average listener who maybe knows me in an as an acquaintance or found me on social media or through uh, a guest that I had, there is a lot that makes me me and there's a lot of things that maybe we'll talk about that could help explain why I react the way I do sometimes. Um, and we're going to, this is going to be like a three part series. So slowly through time, this isn't going to come every week because this is a very vulnerable thing for me to do. Um, but yeah, we're just gonna, we're just going to start with this one today and kind of look a little bit, at my past from my early days until I uh, got married. So, so I have given Jared some ideas of things that he can ask me, but this is all him. I don't know what's coming. I don't know what the questions are. I don't know how it's correlating with my present life with dating. So this is, this is all Jared. But before we get into that, uh -huh. what's going on with you? Let's check in with each other. Yeah. You know, still quarantining like a fucking champion. Um, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> uh, so uh, I guess the big thing that happened in my life, and it's been some weeks now because I wanted, you know, I, I, uh, is that uh, my relationship ended, I think maybe four weeks ago or something like that. And so that was very sad. And it's been certainly like an adjustment. I'm trying to take care of myself. Uh, what's nice is like it was very sort of, amicable and I still have like care 
and affection for um, Nicole and want good things for her and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, that's all, you know, it's kind of one of those things where like, well, it was, you know, not as bad as certainly breakups can be. Um, and so I'm having some gratitude for that. And also, you know, just doing my best to sort of take care of myself. Yeah. And what's been really nice is like, uh, really appreciating all the other people in my life that like, you know, friends from back home and family and different people of just jumping on the phone and zoom and stuff like that. So, so it's been an adjustment, but, um, ultimately like I, I'm, I'm doing well with it and kind of, you know, like looking forward, trying to look yeah, forward. Yeah, of course. And I'm so sorry that you went through that you know, we had a, that grief episode about breakups. And yeah. I think maybe in the future, we'll do a specific breakup episode, um, maybe just talking a little bit more about what to do, you know, during breakups and, and after. But um, yeah, I'm really sorry that you went through that. And I'm glad that I can be here for you. And I'm glad that you have friends and family that are supporting you. I know I was worried about you for the first few days. And it's just nice to see you, you know, feeling good, you know, moving forward. So yeah, thank you, friend. Of course. Yeah. What's happening with you? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, so my parents had found some water damage in underneath the floors in their house, which mm. required us all to move basically everything out of the back four rooms including my room, um, to repaint everything and redo the floors. So I ended up staying at the Aries Hotel in Redlands for three nights, which was hilarious because I had been there three times before with three different guys. And I thought that, well, one of the guys was the guy from Denver in episode eight. So when he and I hung out, we went to his hotel room at, at the oh, Aries. Yeah, okay. The other two guys though, I thought you and I could talk about that in the Patreon uh, bonus episode. Oh, cool. Yeah. So you guys, if you want to hear about the other two Aries guys, <laughs> you got hotel story time with Leah. Yeah, you got to subscribe to the Patreon, but yeah. So I had my own hotel room. I had some travel credit, so I didn't, I had already technically paid for it. It was kind of a bummer that my first vacation was a mile down the street from where I live. But anyway, so I'm back in my room. Everything's all set. It feels really nice to be back. I have been doing some online dating. I did mention, you know, a couple things last week, but I didn't want to be super specific because I had David on from JSwipe and I didn't want to be talking about my interactions on and Hinge and Bumble, uh, which by the way, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, it's so phenomenal. And Actually, I, I want to share this really quick. I listened to the episode again, and something that really resonated with me with what he said is we had like this conversation about fuckboys and how he really like deep down he wants to believe that if you're very upfront with men about what you're wanting, that the good guys are going to respect that. And mm. that most guys maybe don't even know that they're being fuckboys. And I don't know. It's just been a very introspective week. And I've decided that I need to be a little bit more gracious towards men, gracious towards people, and mm. stop being super fired up and um, kind of abrasive 
when I get angry and just kind of have more compassion for people that, you know, I always say, don't take your shit out on other people. But Mm -hmm. another good reminder is that people are taking their shit on other people because they're going through shit. And, you know, and hurt people, hurt people. Yes. Hurt people, hurt people. And so, and I've, been through a lot of hurt in my life. And there were times when I didn't treat people well. And there's still times when I don't treat people well. And so anyway, I have decided to take that into my online dating approach. And kind of like the advice you've given me, like, just don't respond. Like if they're ghosting me or whatever, I don't need to send Mm -hmm. the text. Like, you know, so anyway, I have gotten multiple messages from men within like this one guy was in Big Bear. He lives in LA and he sent me a text, maybe like the 10th message back and forth. in. he goes, yeah, he goes, I don't even know why I'm on here. I just, I haven't been touched in months. And I'm like, okay. Huh. Well, okay. I know where this is going. So I said, oh, okay. I said, well, do you want me to interpret that message for me? Or you want to just tell me where you're at? And he's like, yeah, no, I'm just looking for like a fun night. Cause you know, you live in Redlands. I live in LA. That's too far. And I said, so you want me to drive up to, to Big Bear to spend the night with you, to hook up with you when you have no desire to pursue me after that romantically because I live an hour from you. He goes, yeah, no, that's basically right. <laughs> well, that's great. <laughs> I, know. So I was like, listen, I, you know, I'm just not into it. That's not for me. Good luck. And he was like, oh, but you're so my type. And I was just like, whatever, you know, I didn't respond. Yeah. There was another guy that. Uh, Wait, how did that, sorry. Like, how did that feel? Like, like that interaction and how you felt afterwards compared to like how you would have done it previously and like similar situations. Yeah, I think it was more of just like, whatever. Like I was able to just not think about it faster. Yes. You know, yes. because it didn't matter because he, he doesn't know me. And I always say this, you know, they don't, nobody on a dating app knows who you are. So mm-hmm. I can't, I can't be offended that he just wants to sleep with me based on three pictures on my profile. Yep. You know? Yeah. So anyway, Uh, so then I matched with this other guy and we started kind of going back and forth a little bit. And he says on his profile that he likes a woman who knows what she wants. And I'm like, Oh, perfect. So I said, Hey, listen, why don't we skip all the small talk? Do you want to just jump to a FaceTime call? You know, sorry, I'm a little forward. And he goes, a woman who knows what she wants. I love it. Blah, blah, blah. So we jump on the phone. This is Friday night. We were on the phone for three hours. It was like, there was immediate chemistry, immediate attraction. We were laughing. I was asking questions. Uh, There was a moment where I was his therapist for a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best. And he even said, he's like, I feel like I just had a therapy session. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I've had that critique before. Anyway, so I was like excited. I was the one that had to end the phone call. Mm -hmm. I was, and I was like, Hey, we should probably go to bed next day. I didn't hear from him. So around two o'clock I'm thinking like, well, he did say he's, he's not, he kind of lets the woman take lead a little bit because he doesn't know if she's into him and Mm -hmm. he's trying to move a little slower because he tends to fall into relationships really easy. So I'm like, okay, you know, so I just texted him and I said, Hey, how'd you sleep? And then we text a little bit and I said, well, listen, I'm not sure where you're or where your head's at, but you know, I'd love to jump on another FaceTime call if you'd like to. And he goes, yeah, how about tomorrow or Monday? And I was like, okay, great. And I, so I gave him some times and then he was like, okay, great. I'll get in touch. Have a nice day. 
haven't heard from him since. Mm. So it's, I don't think I'm going to hear from him. And it's a little odd. It throws me off a little bit because why would he spend three hours talking to me? Like he would have gone longer if I wouldn't have cut the conversation. So did he, was he maybe a little drunk? And then he got off the phone. He's like, ah, this girl's a little, you know, too forward. It's a little too much right now. Like I want to take things slow and, you know, so I, I don't know. I haven't heard from him. I'll let you guys know next week if I do. I'm thinking 95%. I'm not going to hear from him again. Yeah, this is a real interesting, like, Scooby-Doo mystery. You know? You're I like, know. What, what is happening here? Um, but I mean, but see, like, I, I think that's the thing. And that's what's so beautiful about you. You know, this new approach you're taking of kind of letting go and, you know, like, not trying to not be as reactive to certain things, right? Is that like, there's, there could be a thousand explanations for this guy's behavior that have nothing to do with you, you know, that are just about like, I mean, he could like, his ex could have come back into his life, like, you know, the next morning or, you know, I mean, who knows, right? Like, we'll never know. So I think that's cool though, that you're like, well, this is weird. Let's see how it plays out. Right. And not like, oh no, what's happening or whatever. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. I'm not reaching out. 100%. So if he wants to talk to me again, he can reach out. I've been able to, I was kind of excited for a moment. And Mm -hmm. then since I got that super mixed signal yesterday, I've been able to just totally like break myself free of any, like, I don't think I'm not thinking about him. I'm just talking about it because you and I are having this conversation right now. So anyway. Oh, look at the, what a like a lovely, like healthy balance, you know? Yeah. 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 And then my coaching program should start in a week. That's exciting. Yeah. So I shared with the listeners last week that I was doing that. So I'm really excited. I'm really excited for that. Super cool. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. So are are we ready to dive in? I think we're ready to dive in. Oh, are you feeling a little apprehensive about this conversation? No, no, I'm, I'm excited. I just, you know, you know, I like having the control and I feel like I don't have the control. <laughs> okay, well, no, let's feel let's, free to like sort of check in at any time and be like, wait, I wanted to talk about this. Like, you know, okay. I mean, I think, I think, you know, we can just let the conversation go where it's going to go. One thing that I do want to say, um, cause when you, before we, before you asked me like what's been happening with me, when you were talking about kind of doing the show and you developing as you do the show, you know, one of the things that I think is cool is that I think anytime any person is going to sort of put their voice out there, like, you know, and whether that's like an artist making art or a musician making music or a stand-up comedian, right. Or someone doing something like this. I think, I think there's a cool place that that comes from within people. And that's like the scariest thing ever to do. And like, so even if I don't particularly like somebody's art or comedy or viewpoint or whatever, I try to be like, well, you know what? Like they had the bravery to like stand up on that stage and like put their shit out there. And like, I don't, so I can be like, well, it's not for me. And I know that for you, you know, I, I think it's, it's kind of extra cool because for you, your inspiration and sort of desire to do the show is you're like, maybe I can make people laugh and feel like they're not alone in some of their, you know, dating struggles or silly stories or whatever. Um, And maybe, you know, people will get some kind of entertainment relief, hope, like a feeling of connection 
like, you know, like let people learn from my mistakes, you know, and I think that's super cool. Thank you. That was really sweet. Yeah, I just want to say that. Okay, so let's start and let's talk about your life. And I guess an interesting place to start for me is like, can you tell us like one or two sentences about maybe like your parents and how that sort of shaped you and your role in your family growing up? Yeah. So my parents have been married for like 40 years, I think. Mm -hmm. And they've always had a consistent relationship. Mm -hmm. My mom is one of the most open and loving and welcoming people I know. My father is very knowledgeable and smart and driven. And so I think I've I've gotten little bits of each of them in me. I've gotten the kind of the drive and the entrepreneurial ship. Sure. Spirit. (laughs) Entrepreneurial spirit from my father and from my mother. I get the musical side and the kind of the nurturing side because she's also a piano teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have gotten many great qualities from both of them. I would say maybe a couple things that I have struggled because of Mm -hmm. certain things is, you know, my dad has always been very antisocial. And uh, so he's tired. He was a pastor for many years. And then he was a physical therapist. And when he comes home from work, he goes into his room and he closes his door because he has to recover. He's an introvert, you know, he, Mm. he gets energy by himself. And he would rather be alone. He likes being alone. He doesn't like noise. And so because I'm loud and spirited and stubborn, I quickly learned to to retaliate against that. And Mm. so he and I bumped heads a lot growing up. And then that's also where I get that anxious attachment style because he is naturally avoidant. Um, He, you know, my father has been through what most people can't even imagine in their lives. He is very, the fact that he's alive is amazing. And the Mm. fact that he's as in good shape as he is, is amazing for what he's been through. He was in Vietnam. His father and mother were both alcoholics. His father was abusive. His, my aunt committed suicide. So there's just, and that's just a small window of that. So I have to remember within that, of the tools that maybe I have to date to deal with things that maybe my my father didn't have. And then my mom is just this peacemaker and wants everything to stay happy and in this little bubble. And so because of that, there have been times that I didn't feel like I was really supported or mm-hmm. like fought for almost like when injustice happened to me, I was kind of on my own. I've always, I've always been on my own. And so I've had to kind of fend for myself and be very independent. And yeah, I mean, well, yeah, we'll, we'll move on from that. I don't know. Is that kind of what you were wanting? No, that's true. Yeah. I think that's super interesting. Right. I mean, I think a, our families shape us and I do believe, you know, there's, you know, there's a lot of research and like therapists who would tell you that, you know, like intergenerational trauma is a thing, right? Like that, you know, like we all have traumas and stuff from our past and, you know, like, you know, especially people have been through experiences like your dad and then, 
you know, what's beautiful is that people get healthy and take and learn ways to cope and take care of themselves. Um, and they can sort of heal and grow from a lot of it, but some of that sort of gets transmitted, you know? And what's interesting is as you're talking, like what strikes me is when you think about your mom, your dad, Krista and you, like you were sort of the agitator, like everybody else could kind of like, like from, from what it sounds like, right. Cause I, I, and I don't know, I mean, I didn't know you or Krista when you were children, but you know, Chris is very sort of mild mannered. And so, for you the, know, sorry, uh, Krista is my older sister. She's two years older yes. for those of you that don't know. Yeah. And so, you know, and so kind of, I could see like, you know, you being the boisterous one and stuff like that. And it's so interesting to me that like, just hearing that, you know, like that you do, you know, have doubts and often feel like, oh, am I being too much or whatever? And like, I wonder, you know, it sounds like some of that was like happening in that early family dynamic too. It was, it was, I was yelled at often for being too loud or I was the one that got in trouble, even though I was like this angel of a kid compared to most kids. I mean, both my, both my parents had it easy in terms of my sister and I (laughs) not breaking rules but yeah, no, I always felt like I, I, I'm just, I felt like I was the black sheep of the family, even though my, yeah. I'm not the black sheep. My family loved me. And, but I never, I, it was like, here was my mom, my dad, and my sister. And then here's me. And like, you know, those pictures of like, who doesn't belong? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I felt like I was like, where did my personality come from? Where, you know, and mm-hmm. my mom told, has told me several times that I actually am just like her mother, whose name was Joan. So oh. it's very interesting because I, my middle name is Joan and yeah. we didn't know that that would happen, but I'm very, very similar to my grandmother who I didn't get to spend much time with. She passed away when I was uh, three, I think. But she was the life of the party and the leader of everything and loud and everybody looked up to her and she would cuss and speak her mind and she was into astrology and all yeah, of these things that I yeah. found out that I have yeah. some similarities to. So that's been kind of fun. That's cool. That's so cool. Um, okay. And you mentioned your dad was a pastor, right? Yeah. So I know very often like that's a thing. It is. So that that's a big thing because I know I kind of flippantly said that, but, or casually said that, but he was a pastor from the age of me being a baby to 14 years old. And I, as a pastor's kid, you have a lot of pressure on you for being perfect and Mm. having this image of who you have to be. And because I'm naturally a leader I was in the spotlight a lot. I was in the plays and on the worship team and, you know, the leader for youth group and and all of these things. And I, it's, you know, everybody knows you and everybody wants to talk to you and you're constantly just under the scope of what everybody wants you to be. Not to mention, I saw all of the background stuff to all mm-hmm. of the uh, toxicity of mm. what a church, what can happen in a church and yeah. how people really treat people and mm. kind of a lot of the hypocrisy that goes with that. And that's nothing about my family or, you know, it's, it's more of, you know, they say people go to church because they're broken people. And so the church is broken because mm. broken people go. 
I think judging someone who goes to church and saying, well, they go to church and they do this. So they're being a hypocrite. You're being judgmental yourself. Mm -hmm. And with all that said, though, I think there's a lot of negative things that go on within the church. Yeah, and sure. I mean, yeah, it's it's human beings. And, mm-hmm. you know, even though everyone is there with, like, really pure intentions for the most part, or like most people, I would say, you know, and, and you know, are trying to do the right thing. But there's, you know, tr- there can be tremendous conflict and tremendous, um, you know, sort of ugliness because... Mm-hmm people don't always disagree. And, and again, you know, like you're saying, like none of us are these perfect saints all the time. And so, you know, sometimes we don't always act in the best ways and even a church is not immune to that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was, it was sad because my dad was essentially, um, forced out of his position Mm. and it really hurt my mom, uh, because her, she was very close with so many people in the church. I mean, the church was her life and it just destroyed her. So that was hard to see that my dad was, was essentially asked to retire because they didn't agree with where he was taking the church. Uh, It was a non-denominational Christian church. And my dad is very by the Bible. He's very, uh, he preaches, you know, out of the Bible and was not, into fog machines and all of the kind of glory that tends to get people in. And so because of that, the church wasn't necessarily growing. And mm. so while we had this core group of people, he wasn't willing, you know, my dad's a little stubborn too. That's where I get it from. And uh-huh. he, he wasn't willing to, to make the changes that the people in the church thought should be made. That's super. So, I mean, so to me, you know, like what you're describing is this, you know, so you're already kind of the one that stands out in the family. And then that's even like that becomes a much more sort of pressure filled, difficult situation when it is something like you're the pastor's child, because it's like, okay, like the family has to like kind of appear at all these things and like look good. And it's not sort of phony or disingenuous, but it's, you know, like, you know, like more pressure to sort of be well behaved and and do things by the book and whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, do you have memories of like times when that was like hard for you or like? So I think the biggest thing with all of that was when I got into junior high and high school, we had a youth pastor who was very, uh, I'll say strict on her beliefs or a conservative on her beliefs about purity Mm. and what women should be wearing and how we should be modest and how we should present ourselves and that we should be doing devotionals every day. And so it turned into very, this kind of by the book law abiding thing. And because I was the pastor's daughter and I wanted to please her because I loved her and she's, she's a amazing person. I just, it, it turned out to be a very negative impact on me because I lost friends over it because I became very judgmental of my girlfriends who were wearing spaghetti straps or tube tops or short shorts. And I'm like, what are you doing? We're not supposed to do that. We're going to make these uh, guys, you know, our guy friends stumble, you know, and we're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to be responsible for that. And, you know, you're not supposed to have sex before marriage and you're not supposed to drink. So why are you at parties drinking? And, And so I actually isolated myself 
and spent mm-hmm. my freshman year eating lunch alone in the library because I couldn't find friends that agreed with me to that level or the friends that I had. I, I essentially, it was kind of like a, you either do this and come with me or I can't come with you. And yeah. it was, um, you know, now that I think back on it, like such a harsh and horrible ultimatum to, to give to someone. And actually that friend and I, uh, we were best friends growing up, uh, Janae, and we're still best friends and we reunited and have reconnected. And she's a regular listener of the podcast and I love her dearly. And we've talked about this moment so many times about how we're so frustrated that that situation happened, but that we are able to kind of get to this point now where we have uh, forgiven that person and forgiven each other. And, and then along with that, I missed out on a lot of things. I, I think I didn't really, I never partied. I didn't date. I had stuff suppressed my sexuality in any way of coming mm-hmm. out. And so then that kind of, you know, and we can talk about that later when I met, ended up meeting my, my ex-husband, but that was yeah. a huge part of, of that moving forward. That's so interesting, right? When you get, you know, here you are sort of caught between, you know, these sort of like opposing forces and with nowhere to go, right? This really, you know, like kind of extreme view of, you know, like, like, you know, that sort of purity culture um, and that sort of like your body and these natural impulses you have and sexual is something to be like ashamed of, to be hidden, to be, you know, fought against or whatever. Um, that's really interesting. And then, you know, I, I didn't, I never sort of thought of like the damage that that can do to someone like socializing and stuff. So, so yeah. yeah. So I like, who are you then? Like, who do you be, who, who, who were you in middle school and high school? Like, who did you become? Was that sort of your, roll throughout kind of like very isolated kind of doing all the church stuff like being the the perfect so junior high was i my janae and i were best friends we were you know i was goody tissue and tissues goody tissues goody two shoes oh (laughs) but i like (laughs) i like goody tissues like that should we should make our own kleenex brand Goody tissues. So I was a goody two shoes. I was Uh teacher's pet. Always got good grades. School came super easy for me. Um, My teachers, I was such an easy target to get made fun of. I mean, I got picked on all the time by all my teachers and I mean, in a positive way. Um, But yeah, I loved junior high. Absolutely loved it. Had the time of my life. I was doing missions trips and at church three times a week and I loved it. And I was still friends with my friend group. It was it was freshman year of high school and that summer before where things shifted into me realizing, okay, I'm going into high school and I need to be careful because people are going to pressure me and I'm going to go through this this um, temptation and all of these, you mm-hmm. know, the kind of Christian lingo words. And so I gave that essentially ultimatum to my friend. We sent went semi separate ways. And so I spent the first semester eating lunch by myself in the library, but I was dancing. I, I was dancing at a dance studio in Redlands and 
I ended up getting my second semester, I ended up getting sixth period off. I have no idea how that happened. And so I ended up hanging out with my, one of my best friends now, her name is Allie. And then my other best friend, Kyle, who lives in New York. And the three of us hung out every day from sixth period, we would go grab food and then we do our homework together and then we go to dance. So that became my life in high school mm. was I go to school, I do the best I can. I have, you know, kind of yeah, acquaintance friends here or there. And then I get together. I have lunch with my best friend, Allie, and Kyle joined us sometimes because he was in theater. And, um, and then after school, we go to dance and we were at dance for three to six hours a day. That oh, was wow. my life. And yeah. so I, I was never, I didn't really like school. I didn't like high school. I didn't want to be involved. I did yearbook one year and I felt like the editor was like so mean to me. So my dad ended up writing all of my, my, I was like a great writer, but I didn't know how to go from like essay format to like cute little blurbs for the yearbook. And oh. so he, he came to me with, my writing, he was like, these are shit, Leanna. And I was like crying and I went home and I told my dad. And ever since then, he wrote all of the blurbs for me. So the, the 2003 yearbook is my dad is published in that. That's hilarious. Yeah. So okay. I just, so that's, yeah, that, that's super interesting. I mean, especially like the dance part, I didn't realize that your training was that intensive and yes. like a question that pops up for me, right. Is like, you know, so you know, you talked about the the purity culture and, and the way that there's, that can really have an impact on people's, and maybe particularly like young women's relationship with their bodies and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And dance can also have that kind of impact. Mm -hmm. Like what was yeah. that like for you? Yeah, it was a bit of a struggle. Um, my, I didn't join what's called the competition team until my senior year. And so before that, I was just, I was really in, my favorite thing was ballet. I just, I did as many ballet classes as I could. I loved my ballet teacher. She made such an impact on me. And so ballet, that's easy. You wear the leotard, the tights, and you're, you know, you're supposed to be this proper and wonderful, you know, uh, pure dancer. And there's mm -hmm. no like booty shaking or slutty clothes or whatever. Yeah. So when I joined... When I started doing jazz and joined performing group for my senior year, that was when I got put in some dances that were maybe a little bit more seductive or a little bit less clothes. And I struggled with it a little bit, but it was more of what would my parents think mm. or what would other people think of what's happening? Mm -hmm. And, but I'll tell you though, that senior year of dance was like the time of my life. I was in a dance that our dance one every competition. And it was really dance saved me through high school. It mm. saved me because I was, and we'll talk about this in a second. I was depressed. I hated school. I did very well in school. I graduated 16th out of a class of 700 with a oh. 4.25 GPA. And I didn't work that hard. It just, school was easy for me. And, mm -hmm. but I hated it so much. And I had a hard time getting out of bed every day. My mom would have to drag me out of bed. And it just, I was super spacey in high school. I would like drive to uh, campus and I left my car running all day long for a few of the days. 
because wow. I was just like, I couldn't function. I couldn't function in the mornings and um, I just wanted to be out of there. So what was the feet like, what, like was, what was the feeling that you would have like while you were in school? Was it just like the whole social piece that was difficult to anxiety, depression, um, a, feeling alone. I just, yeah. I just felt like I never fit in. Like I didn't fit in and it wasn't the place where I was supposed to be. And I hated the people and I hated the stupidity and I was anti school spirit. I still don't even know the lyrics to our like high school song. Like <laughs> I have no idea. I don't even know how it starts. And, um, I just felt, you know, I was best friends with, uh, uh, Allie, who was Jewish and smaller. She was only 4'11", and she got bullied so bad in school. And I was kind of like her only best friend, and I stuck up for her. And there were days where she got egged and her car was violated, saying something about her being Jewish. And people at school would come up to her and say, I hate you. And it was just, she got really bullied. And then my friend Kyle, who is gay, got bullied a ton as well for being kind of, he's not feminine, but he was in theater and he wasn't out yet. But I think, you know, when you're a little different, people treat you different. So I was friends with the two closest people in my life who were attacked and bullied. And I stuck up for them and was by their side. And, but I saw that in people and I just, I didn't want anything to do with anyone. Mm -hmm. And so I, Mm -hmm. I went in, I did what I have to do. I got out, I did my homework and then I went to dance and that was my safe haven. At that point, my dad wasn't at the church anymore. And so we weren't really going to church. I was attending Calvary Chapel. It's a church in Redlands um, and doing youth group every now and then. And I was on the band, but my senior year, I really just didn't attend at all. We kind of, since my dad retired, really none of us have really stuck with a a church home or being involved in church in any way, except for when I was in my marriage. So that's it. Yeah. And I mean, and just, you know, I, I actually wanted to kind of come back to that, you know, like the, that is a trauma and like the, the trauma for your dad in terms of like losing this thing that he had built and had, you know, kind of become his sort of like life's work in a way. And then the trauma for your mom in mm-hmm. just like losing so much of her social support system and stuff like that. I mean, that must have been hard for you to see them go through that, you know. Yeah, it was. And what's interesting is I went through it 14 years later when I was, and we'll Mm. talk about this in our next interview when I was excommunicated from a church, when I got divorced. Wow. So, you know, I've had a lot of very negative experiences within the church. And I don't want to say this because I'm bashing on church, bashing on Christians, because that's not what I'm doing. I think Mm. that there are some very bad quote unquote Christians. I think there are some amazing and loving Christians. I think there are some great churches. I think there are some churches that have the wrong idea of how to do things. And I think that I just happen to experience very heavily the the negative side of the church. And it's interesting though, sorry, this is a bit of a tangent, but I am still 
a believer in God, I still pray and I journal every now and then. Um, I'm definitely not law abiding. I, I live my life in with the idea of love the Lord your God as um what, what is this commandment? <laughs> love the Lord your God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. So that's what I live yeah. by. And I try not to be judgmental of myself. I try not to be judgmental of others. And that has been a huge journey that I've gone through of getting rid of judgment. And, you know, it's, I think we, we all judge to a point, but I was very, very judgmental uh, in my teens and early twenties. And I, I, don't want to get back to that point again. Yeah, like I mean, because I think a lot of a lot of people's spirituality starts there. Like you, like okay, like these are the rules, and like these are the things I have to do so that I don't go to hell, or so that God loves me, or so that I'm okay, mm-hmm. right? And you know, when you get really tightly wrapped up in that space of like, and it's really hard for people to do all of the things all the time and feel like oh, every time you slip up you know, the sort of shame and guilt that goes with that and feeling bad about yourself or whatever, you know, and then kind of like wanting other people to do the same or, or whatever, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and then looking differently at people who aren't doing that, right? Because mm-hmm. you're fighting so hard within yourself to do that, you know, I, yeah. mean, I think it does, you know, and, and I think it's cool. I think a lot of people have your journey where they have to deconstruct that really rigid view and, then actually like reconstruct a more like evolved, like spirituality, like spiritual life, faith, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So you talked about some of the struggles in the mornings, right? How else, like, you know, when, when you said you really struggled with depression, like say more about that. Like how did that show up for you? Like, were you like, did, did you get diagnosed with depression at one point or? Yeah. So it started with an eating disorder that started my junior year. Um, my sophomore year, I decided that I had put on some weight from eating out so much with my good friends. And I was a dancer. And as a dancer, especially back then, you were supposed to be thin. And I was, my favorite thing was ballet. So I watched all these ballet dancers and who are very, very thin. And mm-hmm. my body type is not that. I'm naturally very muscle built. I'm, uh, I've always been more likely to bulk up and I just, I've never had that naturally thin frame. And so I asked my mom, I said, you know, I think I want to start trying to lose some weight. And so we got some advice from a friend and I just, I just started to not eat junk food and cut out some sugar. And it was a very healthy way of doing it. And I worked really hard and I lost 10 pounds And then I started hanging out with my dance friends more who ate a lot of junk food. And I mean, it was insane how much junk food they ate. And so I was like, okay, well, I lost all this weight. I can start, you know, kind of fudging a little bit. Well, then I started gaining the weight back very quickly. And then I started getting very frustrated that I couldn't believe I had spent all this time losing this weight. And I and I wanted to lose more and then I was gaining it. And so I started going to very quick ways of trying to lose it. So I started, uh, I would starve myself for a few days and then I, 
attempted to try and and make myself um, throw up after eating, or I would it would do binge eating and then binge exercising. It was it became this obsession of me weighing myself three times a day, always thinking about my weight, always thinking about food, and it was very toxic. And my parents heard me throwing up in the shower one time. And my mom said, I think we need to go see a therapist. And so I went and saw one who diagnosed me with depression and put me on a medication. So I was 17 when I went on medication um, mm. and just wasn't really a good fit for, I think, someone who was dealing with an eating disorder. She told me to exercise three times a day. And like, it was just, it was not a good fit. And yeah, I mean, I, I think back then, like there were so many therapists who didn't really like understand eating disorders. I agree. I agree. And it wasn't introspective at all. It wasn't like, okay, let's think about, cause now if, now if I think back, you know, it makes sense, you know, growing up pastor's kid, perfectionist have to look and act a certain way. And, and I probably felt a little bit like I wasn't in control of my life when we were asked mm-hmm. to leave the church. And then I didn't know who I was. And then I had lost my friends because I was trying to be this certain way. And I didn't want to be this, but I felt alone. And so this was like the only thing that I kind of had control of. And depression runs in my family. It's part mm-hmm. of my genetics. And I have unfortunately been given that gene And so it was something that I struggled with for two and a half years. I finally moved on. Well, I went to college and we can circle back on that a second. But when I was in college, I was still on antidepressant medication. And the summer after my first year of college, I ended up working at a summer camp as a counselor and uh, just kind of helper in whatever way I could. And I chose to work with horses that summer. You could have a bunch of jobs. You could work at the swimming pool or on the lake. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want to work with horses. This is like my dream. Well, little did I know that summer in Mississippi was like so humid and so hot. And when you work with horses, you had to wear jeans every day. So that was the only negative thing. But it was interesting in that summer, not once did I think about what I was eating or how I looked because I was taking care of kids or I was taking care of horses or I was you know, doing this. And at that time, my ex-husband and I were forming this really adorable romance. And it was the first time I I was able to disconnect from that imbalance in my brain. And it naturally Mm. went, my eating disorder naturally went away. It is something that I still struggle with today with body image and trying not to go into that rabbit hole of obsessing. And I tend to struggle quite a bit when I put on some weight and I you know, I try to be as little obsessive as possible. So when I find myself weighing myself more, I'll stop weighing myself. If I am frustrated because my clothes are tight, I buy new clothes so I don't feel frustrated anymore. So I have these kind of like tools that I can do now to to kind of um, come into more of a balance with that. But I, I don't really feel like professionals helped me in that way at all. I really think that was just kind of, it was happened that I landed in that role and it was really good for me. And then I've created these tools for myself to, to help me stay out of that. Yeah. And I mean, it's also like, you know, it sounds like 
yeah, there was definitely some shortcomings in the in the therapy you were receiving. But in therapy, like you do the work. So like you right. had still sort of done that work and like, you know, looked at some of these things. And, and so, you know, I think in a way, like you were probably ready when the right sort of environment and setting and like life experience um, was presented to you to be able to really like experience a profound shift and kind of get healthy. Because I think that happens a lot. Like when we when we pluck ourselves completely out of one setting and, and go into an, another one, you know, there's ways that things can shift in us in really beneficial ways, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, I know for like a lot of people who have like lived abroad and stuff like that, it's like, Oh, like the rules are totally different here. Like, mm-hmm. and you kind of have this freedom to, to be or express different sides of yourself or whatever. But okay. So, so you did really well in high school, but you hated it. So then what was, what was the thing for you in terms of like college? Like, did you want to go to college? Like, were you pressured? Like, how did that work? So for a while I wanted to be a hairdresser and I was like, (laughs) I don't I have never heard that. That's amazing. I was like, oh, I either wanted to be a hairdresser or a professional dancer. And Mm. I was like, I don't need to go to college for that. I don't, I hate school. Why do I have to go to college? And I said, my dad said, you're going to college. I'm going to pay for it as long as you pass your classes, go to college. And so I was like, okay, well, if I have to go to college, then I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm going to pick this major that maybe I don't have to do as much schoolwork with. (laughs) (laughs) What major was that? Dance. Ah, yeah, of course. So now here's what's interesting. So I was still very in my Christian mindset. And I went mm-hmm. to a public school with people that I just, I didn't like, and I thought they were rude and inconsiderate. And so I really, really, really wanted to go to a Christian private college because oh. I wanted to experience people that thought like me and acted like me. And I thought if I went to one, I would, I would find that. So there aren't a lot of private Christian schools that have really, really good dance programs. And I was accepted into Westmont uh, with a great scholarship and they have like, um, kind of like a very minor, like mild dance program there. Um, mm-hmm. so I was going to go there and then all of a sudden, I don't know if someone sent me the link or somehow I found it, but I found out about this tiny little college in Jackson, Mississippi called Bellhaven. And I looked it up and they have one of the most prestigious dance programs in the country for being a Christian college. And I was like, that's it. That's what I'm doing. So I had already missed the um, auditions, the in-person auditions. So I had to put together an audition video that my lovely ballet teacher helped me create. And I got into the program and my parents flew me out there by myself. And I visited the college and I was like, this is it. This is it. This is where I'm going. It just, it felt right. It felt like me. It was unique. It was different. The people seemed different. They were really nice and inclusive and it was small and quaint. The campus was beautiful. And so, yeah, that's what I did. I went to, I went off to college in August of 20, it wouldn't be 20. It would be uh, 2005 and I loved it. I loved college, Mm. but I didn't, I, it's interesting I was horrible at school in college because I had found my freedom 
And I had made all these fast friends and I was playing ultimate Frisbee and I was playing soccer because the field was like right next to our dorm. And my friend and I were like driving to Whataburger at 1am and grabbing burgers. And I was, my friend and I were crazy. My good friend and I, Katie and I were crazy. And then Callie as well. The three of us, we were all over campus. You would find me and Katie sleeping on the ground somewhere because we had been up all night. And I'm not talking about like, we weren't partying. We weren't drinking. We were just having fun. We were having sober fun. And I felt like I had found my people but yeah, I was not doing well in classes. I was not studying. I didn't care. I was got my first D and C's and I ended up hating the dance program because it was very structured and it wasn't what mm. I was used to with my dance studio that was very free and uh, expressive. And this was, you have to do it this way. And it was very political and they had their people that would advance to you know, certain classes. And if you weren't this way or looked this way, you wouldn't advance. And I was like, peace out. That's not for me. And so I decided at the end of my freshman year, I had decided not to do the dance program anymore. And I was going to be undeclared. Mm. Wow. <laughs> well, you guys are, you guys are getting a full dose of, of my life here. No, that's so like lovely. I mean, it's so, it, it's so, I don't know. I'm really appreciating seeing all these like threads that, you know, have like really run throughout your experience, you know, growing up until now even. And um, yeah, I just was like, I got really swept up in like, as you were talking, right? Like finding that freedom to like be yourself, you know, kind of for the first time. Right. Mm-hmm. And to be like loud and crazy, but in a way that felt really good and safe. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and and it didn't like, like a lot of your earlier experience, like maybe for the first time, like being that way wasn't resulting in sort of backlash and and Mm -hmm. judgment and people telling you that you're doing something wrong or whatever. And so, yeah, yeah. like I was loved and everywhere they would talk about, I woke up last night and I heard you laughing and it was the funniest thing. It's like, I felt yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. I felt like for the first time I was allowed to be me yeah. and I felt accepted for being me. And But that didn't last long. <laughs> <laughs> but that's well, what do you mean? Well, so okay. tell the next part of the story. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So, so I had finally felt like me, except for I was doing horrible in school and I had quit dance. I was tried. I tried out for the soccer team for my sophomore year and got in. I'm like, I I grew up playing soccer. So it wasn't like I was a first time soccer player, but I was like, I think I'm going to enjoy soccer more than dance. I mean, I'm just kind of, I was all over the place. So the second semester of my freshman year, I met my, well, actually I met my ex the first semester, but he was with someone else. Second semester, they had broken up and he started hanging out with my friend group more. And so we were just friends. And then one day it just kind of clicked for me that, oh, I kind of had feelings for him. And then he inadvertently asked me to the the dance that we had. And I was like, oh my gosh, does he like me? And he hadn't told me. What do you me. mean inadvertently? He said, hey, are you going to the dance? And I said, I don't know yet. He's like, well, I have a free ticket if you want it. Oh, so that's like he was like kind of not formally asking you. Like, he was Will nervous. You go to this dance with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He so was he tried a, to I, be like yeah. 
he yeah. wasn't ever very smooth. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and we went to this dance and we had a great time and it was still like we were just friends and I didn't know if he liked me. And so then I applied to do the summer camp because I didn't want to go home. I was like happy. And I got into do the summer camp. Well, then he got into the do the summer camp. And we had spent a couple weeks apart because we had to go home at the end of semester. And but we still talked every day and we would write each other messages through Facebook, I think. And wait, at this point, are you guys like it's clear that we like each other? No. I still didn't no? know because he had not expressed that he was interested in me romantically. And I had never, you guys, I had never had date. I had never dated anyone. Like no one had mm. asked me to dances in high school, except for one guy who uh, I went with to homecoming who ended up wearing a kilt. Wow. <laughs> I mean, whatever. Now I wouldn't think as much about it, but in high school I was so embarrassed and he was just at the time he was too quirky for me. He was extremely smart. He got like, 1560 on his SATs. Like, wow. and so I was drawn to him for being so intelligent, but then I just kind of lost the connection and I was so. Well, see, that's so interesting, right? Because, right, when you, of course, of course that was uncomfortable for you because your whole life experience was like to not be too much. Mm-hmm. And you, and especially in school, you were like just barely like, you were like hiding, you know, like, how do I just not draw any attention to myself and do what I got to do and get the hell out of here? You know, like it sounds like a very sort of scary place. And then to be asked on a date, that's exciting. And then you get there and here's this person who's really calling the attention to himself. And then therefore to you, like, of course, that was like terrifying and uncomfortable and all these things. You know, I think what bothered me about it is it, it wasn't about me at all. It was about him. He wanted mm. the attention. He wanted every to be like, oh my gosh, you wore a kilt and how funny. And like, I was just kind of like his date. And yeah. I, it bothered me. Like I would have, I think you're right. It would have rather just kind of blended in a little bit. And so anyway, after that, nobody asked me to senior homecoming, senior prom, every guy that I had a crush on never liked me back. So I had never experienced a mutual connection before Mm-hmm. And so I didn't, I, for months, my ex and I were talking every day and flirting and I had no idea if he was interested in me romantically. Okay. But were you, did you know if you were interested in him romantically? Oh, I was way into him. Way okay. into so him. So you were like, but you didn't want to say anything and press the yes. issue because you were still both operating under this facade that like, well, we're just really good friends. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I was nervous if I said something, it would scare him away, or maybe he wouldn't like me. Mm. And yeah, Don't so be we too much. exactly. Yeah. So we hung out all summer long, and it was really special. And we bonded. And you you must have had people coming up to you when like you know your ex wasn't around with. People saying like, come on, like you guys are clearly like into each other. Just well, like, I mean, yeah. I mean, we weren't allowed to date at this summer camp, but he oh, and I were passing okay. notes back to each other through people. So everybody knew. But finally You were like literally passing actual notes. We were like passing notes. Deliver notes. Like romantic letters. Really? Yes. Like it was like, very 
So find romantic. Was it like, I miss you, I can't stop thinking about you? Like that It was like, I woke up this morning and I thought about you and I can't wait to see your smile and you light up my day. And it was just, it was just like, so like, this is why these guys on these dating apps, like are not getting me because like what I've lived through, what I've experienced with that type of courtship which was so special and so sweet and something I'll never forget. And I felt so pursued in a, in a non-sexual way, right? Mm. Because it was months of this just friendship developing. And, and then I finally asked him one afternoon, we were watching the world cup and I said, do you like me? (laughs) Of course you did. And he was like, of course I like you. What? This is why I was like, oh, he's like, I was like, well, I like you too. He's like, I know. (laughs) (laughs) And then I think we had our first kiss, my first kiss ever that weekend. And it was after that, the notes got way more romantic and we started kind of sneaking around together and it was just so sweet. And however, so what happened after that though is summer camp ended. We were official boyfriend, girlfriend. And he gave me the news that he was asked to move back to his hometown in Virginia to help his family out. And I was just crushed because I was expecting us to go through college together. You know, I was expecting. Yeah, it was all planned out. Like everything was going to be perfect, right? Yeah, I was going to have my boyfriend. I loved all my friends at Bellhaven. I was flourishing. It was perfect. And then it just got kind of crushed. And so I went into kind of this depression. I flew home for a few weeks. I told my soccer coach that I wasn't going to do the team anymore because I decided I was going to have to get a job so that I could go and fly to see my ex. So it's like all of a sudden this cute, romantic, sweet, innocent life became an adult life. It was like, okay, like I have to be an adult now. And if I want to see this person I'm in love with, I need to make these sacrifices. And so anyway. So is this like, did this happen immediately? Like, 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 immediately. like at the end of that, like this blissful summer, there was two like, weeks. I'm not coming back. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. And so that whole semester, I was extremely depressed because we were long distance and I was very codependent on him. And I felt like he completed me and I wasn't the same without him. And I was roommates with my best friend and I decided to room together, which was a horrible idea because we were at each other's throats the whole semester. And it was just it was a horrible year. A horrible semester. And I was on the phone all the time. I was crying all the time. We would go, we would visit each other back and forth. And it just, it felt, I, it was like my happy place, my moment of, you know, holding these balloons were just like popped all at once. And so I decided because he had decided he was going to stay there permanently and uh, he had dropped out of college and he was going to figure out a way to finish later. He was like on the soccer team and had a scholarship and he decided to give all that up to help his family. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to come to you and I'm transferring schools. Wow. So I transferred schools and I ended up moving to Virginia 
and I found a roommate because we weren't supposed to live with each other, right? So I found uh-huh. a roommate situation and I lived there and I started going to Regent University, which is more well known for their graduate program, but they had a, a newer undergraduate program with very few majors. So I decided to be a communications major. Seemed like the least amount of work. And <laughs> uh, it's actually was a blessing school. It, it was a blessing school wise that I transferred because I had a horrible GPA by the time that I had transferred at Bellhaven. Some of my classes didn't even transfer because they were D's. And mm-hmm. um, I ended up Regent was mostly online, mostly blogging, mostly essays, which was where I flourished. I wasn't a test taker. I wasn't, I was a writer. And so I ended up graduating with a 3.75 uh, which was a miracle for because mm-hmm. I put, I didn't read a thing. I put zero work into it. So, um, <laughs> well, you guys are really getting to know, to know how, how much I hate school. This is why I don't have a master's degree, but yeah, I, I was, I went, I was just depressed. I was alone in, in Virginia. I was with the person I was in love with, but we didn't have any friends. We were alone. It was us all together. And we were feeling guilty because we were doing sexual things that we shouldn't be doing. And I missed my friends and I missed my life and I missed my parents. And I, I look back at that time and I'm so, so, so wish I hadn't made that decision. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I, I wish that I had stayed at Bellhaven and let him decide if he wanted to come to me, if I was that important for him to, I guess, yeah. I mean, I guess I've just never been pursued. I've always yeah. been the pursuer. Well, and it's interesting that like, um, oh, I see what you're talking about. Cause as soon as, Cause then the dynamic flips and you're like, okay, I'm moving to Virginia. You know, like you're the one sort of going all in, yep. not the other way around. Mm-hmm. But it is really interesting to me that like here you had found this place um, and this feeling of freedom and being accepted and being yourself and, and everything like that. And then, you know, through falling in love, it kind of all transferred to him. And it was like, you know, like, which is, you know, that, Cause then he's, he's, he's pulled out of the equation and yes, that said, but like the, everything else was still there for you. But yet I think it, you couldn't see beyond like, okay, like, you know, and I think that's a lot of us in our first real love, mm-hmm. right? Like it becomes the be all end all and just mm-hmm. kind of clouds. Oh, everything it was. And I abandoned yeah. my friends. I was horrible. And I, I really like, I hope that when I do meet someone who I am this much in love with that I am able to create more balance with still keeping my life of my friends and involving my family and all of that and still having this person being loved. But yeah, there, I just, I have a lot of regrets from that relationship of who I turned into. I lost myself. I lost my joy almost because we didn't ever really have that honeymoon period. I mean, we had it through summer and then two weeks after and then it was Mm. gone. Um, I mean, not saying the honeymoon period is everything, but I, and this is like, you guys, this is like, I'm not suffering here. Like I'm a 
white girl going to college. My daddy is paying for it. Like, I'm not saying like I was really suffering. I'm just, I'm just saying that I, I lost myself and I lost my joy. Mm, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, I understand making that disclaimer, but also like suffering is suffering. Like I don't, you know, of, of course there are certainly people who have it worse, but I think, you know, we're all shaped by the things that we come through and the challenges that we face. Okay. So what's super interesting to me about that is, you know, so like when we think about like our sexual selves, right. And the kind of purity culture thing you had gone through. And then in addition to the way your relationship began with your ex of being this really like prolonged, like we're in this sort of friendship phase for a long time. And then even once we're out of the friendship phase, because of the faith that both of you had, like all the physical stuff had to go super slow. And it's like, that's giving me, I feel like um, a really interesting insight into, you know, like when, like what's happening for you when like nowadays you're messaging with a guy that you think you might like, and he makes a sexual innuendo, like, like I can, I, I can understand better. I think like why that's sort of uncomfortable or scary for you, or it feels like they're not genuine. They're not seeing you. Like there's some part of like being cared about that feels like it's not there. Yeah, I think so. Because I, I, I want to so be pursued for who I am as a person. And I know that my ex saw me for that. He, mm -hmm. he really uh, fell in love with me. And then the physical part came. We fell in love before we started making out. And nowadays I'm so scared that I'm just going to be used for my body and yeah. um, that no one will want to fall in love with me or well it's yeah i mean it's so interesting like what it feels like to me and tell me if this is a fit or not but it feels like you know with your ex like someone saying to you uh you're not too much i think you're great like just the way you are right mm -hmm. as opposed to what it could feel like now is like you're a little bit too much but you're really hot so i'll take it kind yep. of thing yep. you know Right. Um, yeah. And that, and that second thing is the thing that you're really scared of mm -hmm. happening. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Like I, I, you're, you're too much to commit to, but you're really hot and you've got a great ass. So I, I want to get some of that, but um, I don't want the rest of it. Yeah. Hmm. It's so, um, I don't know. That's helpful for me to know, like as your friend, <laughs> as a person who shows up on this podcast, you know? Um, well, and so then when you, when your relationship is progressing and I'm not, not, not like trying to get salacious here, but I think it's really interesting. Like, so like, can you talk about that conflict inside of you? Like with the, the sexual aspects sure. of the relationship? Yeah. So, um, turned out that I'm a very sexual person. And when we started fooling around, it progressed pretty quickly. And I was very curious. And um, so we actually ended up having sex for the first time, maybe, I mean, I know this is going to sound so slow for you guys, but maybe three months be of being boyfriend, girlfriend. And I was 
at that point though, I was trying to wait till I was married. Right. So to me, it was like, oh my gosh, I failed. And so then it was this back and forth of us, of him knowing how important that was for me to wait. And yet we were so into each other. And it was this constant battle of like, okay, we would have sex and then we'd feel guilty. And then we'd be like, okay, we're not going to do it. So then we didn't do it. And then we would do it. And, and then when I moved to Virginia, it was like, he was all I had. So we were together all the time. And it, it just, it honestly, like, if I'm being really, really honest, that guilt of having sex before marriage carried with me into years of my marriage. Mm. I always felt like I had failed. I was wearing a purity ring. I felt like a hypocrite for wearing it. I never told my parents that I didn't say true. I wore the purity ring to my, to all the way up till the wedding. Mm. And it was just this really guilty conscience that I had. And I, I think that's so sad. I think that's so, so, so sad that the part, one part of the church has made that so important and ingrained that into, into kids and teenagers and young adults that it's this secret now. And it's this, it's not supposed to happen. And it's, it was a, sex was never a great part of my marriage. And I think it was a lot to do with that, mm-hmm. you know, because mm. we had tra- traumatic experiences where we would have sex and then I'd start crying. Um, I would start to orgasm and be stopped because that wasn't supposed to happen. And so then I stopped mm. orgasming. So it, it, I have this like, Wait, why? Like, like, what was the what what was the particular? Like, would you stop yourself, or was he no, sort of saying like, he, stop, stop, he stop? Would. Yeah, because I think he felt like I would feel worse if I did that. I would feel worse about myself if I. I, I mean, I don't know how to explain this. Like, you guys are probably thinking, "Oh my gosh, they're sh- they're crazy." But this was our thinking in our head was we weren't supposed to be doing these steps, and so maybe if we didn't climax. That wasn't officially sex. Okay. Yeah. And so what had happened is there had been a few times where that was about to happen and then it was stopped. And so then it just stopped happening. Mm. (laughs) Your face. I was, I I was like, I was really hoping like I was, I was doing that trick that people do where I'm like, if I, if I stay silent, she's going to keep talking. Oh Um, yeah. I mean, so it was an unfortunate thing that I still deal with today because I still feel guilt for having sex with people before marriage, or maybe that I don't have a connection with that I'm not in love with yet. Mm. And I personally don't believe that sex before marriage is a sin. I just, I don't believe that anymore. I think that God cares a lot more about other things. Mm -hmm. And I think that someone having sex with a monogamous, committed, loving relationship, not in a committed marriage state is the least of anyone's concerns. It should not be judged. You shouldn't be asked if you're having sex. You shouldn't feel guilty about it. I think my stance is on that. Like, if we're not using people, then I don't see an issue with it. 
And I, and I, there's probably there's probably some people listening to that that really really disagree with that, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know, I I have a lot of other beliefs now about biblical scriptures that most conservative Christians or people who are very by the Bible um, would very much disagree with. And I just want to say, you know, I hope you don't judge me on on my stance now. And I think. I do think the church is evolving and becoming more gracious and more uh, open and welcoming and less mm-hmm. judgmental. And I hope that that continues. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's really interesting, right, is like that you had this non-relationship with that sexual side of yourself for so long. And then here you found this relationship and this really beautiful intimacy and connection that allowed you to explore that and sort of like, like there's this like awakening process. And then what's really sad is this sort of judgment and the, Oh no, when I'm supposed to do this and the tremendous sort of shame and guilt and probably like blaming yourself, but also being mad at him when he stops it and, and him being mad at you. And like, it just short circuited the whole kind of connection and intimacy and probably, you know, like short circuited you connecting to that side of yourself in the moment, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I definitely have a lot of sexual hangups and it is something that get I'll, in line. <laughs> I'll have to find a partner who's very, very gracious and open and forgiving and understanding because I would like to be able to orgasm without a vibrator, but I don't know that that will happen until there's a ton of trust and um, security and love in, in a relationship. So yeah, I mean, that was where all of that started and Mm. it is very unfortunate, but I've now experienced the opposite of where, when I got divorced, I kind of went through this phase where I was like, okay, I'm going to try this out and I'm going to, try not to feel guilty about it. And it's okay if I sleep with people and maybe I don't want to, but you know, they're kind of pushing me. So I guess I will, and that should be okay. And then I have realized that that is not the way for me either. Uh, because Mm. put aside the small amount of guilt, I feel about it. I just don't feel good about it. It just doesn't feel true to who I am. And I feel used and the number of times that I have given into sex when I didn't really want it because I was pushed is, is mind blowing. So I've experienced both sides of it. And I think I needed to, to have that experience to realize that that's not for me either. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, And so I assume then there was a big push for you guys to get married to kind of like resolve the dilemma. Was that in the thinking? So I think that was more my push is I was the one that was like, Hey, are we getting married? And then I was the one that was like, Hey, my dad has these diamonds from my grandmother. If you want them. And I was like, Hey, this is the type of ring I want. And he was on board with everything. I mean, he was madly in love with me and he, Mm -hmm. I, you know, he would have done anything and he wanted, he wanted to marry me. And I was just like, okay, well, we should get married. And, and it wasn't just because we were having sex. It was, I was in love and I was, I believed that you date someone and you get married to them. 
that's what you're supposed to do. That's what I was, I was raised to, to find my, my prince and he was going to be my knight in shining armor. And I was supposed to present to him myself, this gift and everything would be wonderful. And so I met him and we were in love. So I was like, okay, well we should get married. This is what should happen. And so we, I moved to Virginia. We dated or we were boyfriend, girlfriend for six more months, got engaged and were married four months later. How old were you? 21. Two weeks. I turned 21 on October 15th and we got married October 26th, 20, or <laughs> I keep saying 20, uh, 2007. Wow. Yeah. And I just, it was, my parents weren't going to stop me. I, it was my decision. I had decided we were going to do it. I was so unhappy. I didn't like how he proposed to me. I had this expectation and I told him and made him, I mean, you guys are going to think that I'm this horrible, horrible person, but I was horrible to him. I mean, I just, that's poor guy. This poor guy had so many expectations of all these stories that I had told about these romantic ways. And he just wasn't, that just wasn't him. He just wasn't this like, super romantic and smooth like grand gestures yeah yeah, yeah. which is ironic because now i don't give a fuck about that i i would be fine if we were in bed one morning and the guy pulled a ring out and was like i love you please marry me like that that's perfect to me so it's like i i needed this and for some reason, what he was doing wasn't fulfilling that expectation. And, but I was like, but that's okay. You know, we'll still make it work. And so he proposed and the ring was beautiful. It was custom uh, made. It was, um, I had picked it out and I went right into wedding planning and we got married four months later. Wow. Yeah. How about that? I feel like that's like a nice place to, to leave us I off. think so. I don't know. What do you yeah. think? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Part two will be from this point on. Uh, yeah. And I want to be very respectful of my ex-husband. Oh, this is going to make me cry. Um, we spent so many years together and he was truly my best friend. And I had a lot of love for him and I will always have a place in my heart for him. And um, there were a lot of mistakes that we both made. And I wish I could take some of them back. But even though I will talk about some things that he did that made me feel a certain way or that weren't great. I respect him as a person. I think he's a great guy and I, I want him to be happy in his life and to heal from the divorce and, um, the hurt that, that we went through together. Yeah. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, it's it's hard, right? It's hard when we share about our lives in these ways because, you know, even like, you know, like let's say if I'm talking about like, you know, my parents and what it was like for me growing up, like it's, it's you know, it's hard to go, well, how do I tell my experience truthfully 
but also like not have people think I'm like blaming or bashing or, you know, like trying to talk negatively about these people in my life because, you know, and, and it sounds like that's what you're really hoping to do. You know, when you have those conversations, I'll just say from my perspective, like being in the conversation with you and, you know, I get to sort of see you on our, you know, on Skype and stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like you did a great job of walking that balance today. Um, yeah. So how are you feeling right now having shared all of this? Yeah. Uh, I feel a little nervous. (laughs) It's, it's very, wow. I'm like really emotional today. I don't know why. Um, but it's, this is scary what I'm doing at, I'm trying to find a balance of the ideas that I have in my mind of how I want this podcast to be and what I want it to be and trying not to kind of be a copycat of another podcast, but also use things that I've heard that I like, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and then, then bring Leanna into it. And I think it's just kind of this journey of how to do that and this balance of how to do that and having you on and what's the balance with, with you and, you know, Mm. how much are you involved? And it's just, it's just been a huge learning experience. And I think that's kind of where I'm at today is it's, it's, it's good. It's been a very reflective week and I'm excited to continue this journey with the podcast. And I, I think today is, is going to be, and I want to thank my listeners for being so gracious with me for sound issues and maybe things that I've said that are a little judgmental or a little hot headed. And I will probably have those moments again. And I'm definitely not perfect. I'm definitely not a dating expert. And I am, I think I'm the first to self-proclaim that I have a lot of struggles with dating. And that's what this is about. This is about Mm -hmm. my journey, my struggles and my growth. So yeah, I think this is a good, I think this is a kind of a good reset for the podcast in terms of moving forward and being able to really be true to who I am, but also kind of paving the way for how I really want this podcast to to go. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you saying that. And I would just say, you know, if for folks listening, like if, you know, if you did get some laughs or get some entertainment or help kill some boredom, or if um, something that you've heard on the show has been helpful to you or made you feel less alone or anything like that. Like, you know, those little things of like, you know, rating, leaving a review, um, you know, like connecting to the social media, like that, that like helps, you know, because absolutely, I'm sure it's, you know, I'm sure it's really hard for you as you struggle to be like, what should the show be? Like, how do I really find my authentic voice? You know, knowing that we all have, we all draw inspiration and have other other people that have inspired us and that are going to influence us in, in how we do our own creative work. Um, but, you know, and I think like, um, you know, and today was a great example of, you know, again, this is a really vulnerable thing and it's a really brave thing that you're doing. And, and so um, I ask like if, if, you know, people out there are appreciating that and getting something from it, like letting, 
you know, the right, like letting Leanna know is, um, you know, is like a really awesome, wonderful sort of like loving thing. Yeah. You know, and probably and probably good karma. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. And and Jared too. I mean, you've been such an amazing part of this journey and but have been so gracious with me and trying to figure it out. And I feel like you always take my words and then summarize it in a much more profound way. <laughs> 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 Which is really nice for my listeners. And I know they miss you when you're not on the episodes too. And uh so same thing. If you guys have any encouraging words for Jared, send them his way too. You know, you can follow yeah. him now at the real Jared Rodriguez. With it's an true. X. It's true. I actually put up stories the other day. I thought you would be proud of me. I did see that. I am boomerang and everything. Yeah. We're, we're actually going to go take some pictures for social media right now. <laughs> I mean, oh yeah. Six feet okay. apart, but it's true. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Thank you guys for, for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the episode and Thank you for being along for this journey. And I think, Jared, do you have any last words before we, we close out? I would just say um, thank you for, for sharing all that stuff with us. I know that's not easy to do. And so I think um, it's an awesome thing. I appreciate so thank it. thank you. Of course. Yeah. All right, you guys. Well, make sure to follow us on Instagram at hello and goodbye podcast. You can follow me at underscore Leanna Joan, uh, Jared at the real... Jared Rodriguez with an S. Twitter, hello underscore by underscore pod, the H and G Hive on Facebook, rate and review on iTunes, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.